As you are, you may turn to Philippians chapter 2. It's on page 9 in the bulletin. Or you can use a pew Bible or your own, of course. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. The word of God for the people of God. What are those weird customs that you have in your family that everyone outside of it wouldn't understand? Maybe you put mayonnaise on a hot dog or, or cheese on your sloppy joe or something like... I don't think it's weird. That's, that was actually an example from my own family. But something that you do that other people don't necessarily do. You, you have these customs and habits that, that people don't hold to and yet when they come in... You sort of expect them to at least learn it, at least take part in it. Maybe not the mayonnaise on the hot dog thing, but but things that you want people to enter into, be immersed into your your life. What are those things? Well, it's different for each of us. But when it comes to walking in the way of, of the Christian life, there are things that those outside will not understand. They, they do not know what you are doing or why you're doing. Why do you pray? Un- unbelievers don't understand that. Why, why get together and sing? You don't get that in the world much anymore. Why, why do you call on God? They don't understand those things. And so they don't get it. Christians are called to be in this family. We've been immersed into it. We were brought into it by our baptism. And we follow these things that are the family customs like prayer and worship and calling on the name of the Lord and sacraments. We have those things that the outside world doesn't understand. And yet we, well, we have them. And they are for us something that marks us out. They set us apart. They keep us from looking like the world in so many ways. In our text, Paul's still at the height, right? He, he ended chapter 2, verse 11, talking about the glory of Christ, having the name where every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow 
And it's still ringing in our ears as we get to this text. We've been separated from it by a week. So hopefully you read it through the week and now you've gotten to this point. You understand it's not broken out. But it's still ringing into our ears. And we understand that this this text actually began back in chapter 1 and verse 27. And it goes all the way through verse 18. And and he's telling us here, he's, he's teaching us how to live as those who are a part of this family, a part of this community. And he's calling us out of the world that we might citizen ourselves worthily of the gospel. That's what he called us to, as those who are in the household of Christ, to have its manners, to have its customs. We are being immersed in this community, learning the language weekly in prayer and in song and in preaching. And he's calling us to that obedience that belongs to the church. What is that? Well, he said it, didn't he, back at the early part of this chapter. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. What mind was that? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Being of the same mind. Having the same love. What sort of love? The love that Christ had. The one who came, who had an outward-facing love, who loved us unto death, even death on the cross. That sort of love. The same love. Being of full accord, uh, of full accord, and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He's teaching us this, and now he's back to this point. He he got off on a tangent about Jesus. He wanted us to see that he's not just pulling this out of thin air. He's calling us to it because the very one whom all our hope hangs on. This is how he lives. And therefore, this is how we ought to live. And so he calls us into that, into that community, into this family called church. He he calls us to it by saying something that makes us take a step back sometimes, especially because it's been subject to so much wrong teaching. Work out your own salvation. We get to that and we go, whoa. What's he meaning here? Well, we're going to talk about that. But what he's doing as we get to this text is he's wrapping it up, taking us back to where he began in verse 27, telling us how we are to live as those who are under the banner, under the name, in the household, in the family of Christ. He's going to show us that in two ways. He's going to show us that by showing us the nature of working out our salvation. That's what we're going to look at. The nature of working out our salvation. And then we're going to see the result of working out our salvation. So he says to us, citizen yourselves worthily. Let your conduct, let your behavior be all about the kingdom of Christ. You focus there. You live there. You look to Jesus. And you do that by working out your salvation. So what's the nature of working out your salvation? First, we need to deal with what he's not saying. So you don't walk away with the wrong ideas. What is he not saying when he says, work out your own salvation? He's not saying work for and not work at your salvation. No, those were accomplished by Christ. You just saw that, verses 5 through 11. Christ has done it. So he's not saying that you must work toward or for your salvation. That's been the subject of a lot of wrong teaching. And so Christians are always to keep in mind the distinction between what Christ has done for us and what the Spirit of God 
does in us. There's a difference. Secondly, he's not saying, are you doing enough? When he says with fear and trembling, a lot of people take that and they look at everything they do and they question themselves. Am I doing enough? I really can't be a Christian because I'm not doing as much as someone else. Is that what he's after here? Absolutely not. If Christ has done it, then Christ has done it. If your hope is in Him, you you don't have fear and trembling like you're resting on yourself because then you're not trusting in Jesus. No, that's not what He's saying. We'll talk about that. He's also not saying that you can never have assurance. Right? He's not saying that you can never really know. You should just always walk around in fear and trembling. No, no. If all of your hope is in Jesus... If all of your hope is in Christ and not in yourself and not in your righteousness and not in what you do, but in Christ, then you can have assurance. Because He accomplishes what He sets out to do. So what is He saying? What is it that He's saying? Well, Calvin says He's saying you work out your salvation because salvation is taken to mean the entire course of our calling And this term includes all things by which God accomplishes the perfection to which He has determined us by His free election. What does He mean? Well, He's meaning this. In other words, you've been immersed, you've been immersed into this kingdom, into this body, into this place in which Christ is at work. And so everything you do is to be a picture of what Christ has done for you. You are to live with Him in mind, with Him in view. Toward His glory. And you are to live, well, remembering, knowing what has happened to you and whose you are. So what does He mean? Well, first He gives us the command. What's the nature? Well, He says, work out your salvation. This is the same thing He said all the way back in 27. He just said it differently. Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's a worthy life. We said that that sort of life is the life that takes into account all that Christ has done and lives in response to it, not seeking to earn it. And so we never lose sight of that fact. And so it's one thing then for us to say and to do, say that we do all things to the glory of God. It's, a, it's another thing uh, to actually try and live to that. It's one thing to say, yes, yes, as for me and my house, uh, we will serve the Lord. And, and so we put our placard on the wall. They sell little metal placards at Christian bookstores. And we get our t-shirts and we have our mug. And we say this all the time. And there's a difference between saying that and actually attempting to live to the glory of Christ out of response of the majesty of what you've just read in verses 5 through 11. You, you, you have to live to it. You work it out. And so it's not, it's not unto, it's the fruit of salvation. You're not working unto, no, you're working out of. Remember, remember, he's already said this. I am certain that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Having begun by the Spirit, you're not going to finish by the flesh. No. So what's the command all about? 
Well, you can't miss the nature of it. Our, our text is the English text, and so it gives it to us rather straightforward, work out your salvation, but you can't miss the nature of the imperative. Now, you know that I don't do a lot of grammar lessons. I don't like to do that. It's, it's, just, uh, it's just not it's tacky, but sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary. And so this verb, work out, is in the middle voice. Now you might wonder why that's important. Let me read to you what the middle voice is. The middle voice is that voice used of the verb which describes the subject as participating in the results of the action. Now, what does that mean? I needed help too, so I had to look it up. And so this is, this is what it is. Listen to this. This is from a man that I respect highly in his pastoral theology. He says, I enter into the action begun by another, my creating and saving Lord, and find myself participating in the results of the action. I neither do it nor have it done to me. I will to participate in what is willed. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Work out your own salvation. The Lord has begun something in you. You have a participation in it. You're being brought into what the Lord is doing in this salvation. And so that's what he's setting out before us. We will to participate in what was begun by another. The Lord has begun it. You participate in it. That's what prayer is. You're entering into the action of what God's already set in motion. Lord, Lord, we know that you are over all things. And so we ask that you will bless this. Why? Because he's already at work. Whatever it is, he's already at work. Well, this is the same picture in your life as you enter into this. This was begun long before you were born. He began saving and accomplishing and creating this church. And he is building it up and has brought you into it that you might see his glory. And so you work out your salvation because the Lord calls us to it. It began in our baptism and we're brought into this life that wasn't started by us, not by our thinking, not by our doing, not by the work of our hands, but by His goodness, by His grace. He has done this. The work of our hands was always toward evil. The work of our hands was always away from Him. And yet He brings us in. And then He calls us He calls us to participate in it. In other words, the life you say you have in Christ, the glory, the the hope, the joy, everything of it is what you ought to live as if you have everywhere you go. You don't have this dichotomy between church life, being with church people. Well, then you've got a different life when you're with work people. And then you have a different life when you're with neighbors and friends that aren't church members. He's doing away with that. All of your life has been immersed into this kingdom of Christ. He says, work it out. Work it out. God has begun it in you. Work it out. Now, it's not work it out as in figure it out. It's let that which God has started in you, let it overflow out of you. Let it bubble out and over. And then he says, with fear and trembling. Why, why would he say that? 
If it's not resting on our shoulders and we ought to be, we ought to be, well, the ones who have the burden upon us. Why with fear and trembling? Because we look around and we know that from which we've been delivered. We're, we're delivered, we've been saved, but we look around and we know that from which we've been li- delivered. Think about it this way. Have you ever been in an automobile accident or a near miss, really? Two cars collide right beside you or you're walking across the road or you're making your way across and, and suddenly an accident occurs behind you and you've just missed it by a fraction of a second. You are delivered, you're saved, nothing happened to you and yet how do you feel? Fear and trembling. This working out this salvation is that understanding of what Christ has done. And and you know that if you had been left to yourself, you have no hope. And so you live out of light of that grace. That He has delivered you. That He has set you free from where you were heading. He moved you out of the mire and set your feet upon the rock. Work out your salvation. That's the nature of it. So that's the command. What's the ground? Well, verse 13. Verse 13 is all your hope. For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to do. We've been brought into the family. He is at work. Therefore, I will to participate in that work. I want to see His glory. I want to take part in these mannerisms, these customs, these things that are exclusively within this kingdom community. Things that outside they don't do or even understand. He works in us both to will and to work according to His good purpose. And so we obey because He cannot fail. And we desire to be in on it. What does it mean that he works both to will and to obey? Well, number one, he gets all the glory. But, but secondly, it's, it's like a child who his father talks to him about driving and how he wants, to, he wants his son to enjoy it and and I say this out of my own driving experience. Learning young, we started on a dirt road. And so uh, five, six years old, we were out there. But my dad would, first of all, set us on his lap to learn. Right? We would sit on his lap. He had, somebody had to work the pedals. And he would let us have the wheel. Right? And this whole time, I am doing everything I can to keep that car on the road. I am struggling. I am straining. I'm making sure I'm right. I'm making sure I'm not going over to one side or the other, not getting in the ditch. I am doing that. And the whole time, I never realized it until I got a little older. There he was. His hand was still on the wheel at the bottom to make sure that we didn't get too far out. He was over it all. And yet there I was participating in it with all my might, wanting to see that car kept in the lanes. He does it. And yet he invites us to participate. He allows us to be a part of it that we might draw in to him. God is pleased in our work because of what Christ has done. He's pleased to receive it. Because every time we pulled in at the house, he'd say, good job, you got us here. He was pleased to receive it, happy to know that we were 
We were trying to please Him. Listen to John Murray on this. God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor our working suspended because God works. Neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation, as if God did His part and we did ours, so that the conjunction or the coordination of both produce the required result. No, God works and we also work. But the relation is that because God works, we works. All working out of salvation on our part is the effect of God's working in us. The more persistently active we are in working, the more persuaded we may be that all the energizing grace and power is of God. And so we're called to work out our salvation. How do we live this kingdom life? How do we live as those immersed into the language, into the community, into the habits and customs of Christ? You work out your salvation knowing, knowing that He wills and works in you. He's not going to fail. You'll never come up short. He's doing it. And He's calling you to participate in it. So do it with all your might. What's the result of it then? What's the result? Now this is the part. Nobody better elbow their children and look at them and point to this verse because we use it all the time. But you better look inward first. Verse 14. What's the result of this command? Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless And innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What's what's the result of seeking to work out your salvation? Well, it's a readiness to do the work which God calls us to. This is where the rubber meets the road. What is that work? Well, it's to live life all to the glory of His name before a watching world so that how I speak, how I behave... How I carry myself is all under His eye, but to His glory. So the world sees it and they go, what manner of life is this? Peter would say it this way. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Are you living in such a way that someone's ever asked you about the hope that's in you? Has anyone ever come up to you and said, why is it that you live this way? Why do you act as if you have some sort of hope that we don't? Your house isn't that big. Your car is not that great. Why do you have hope? I know I make more than you. What's the difference? So he's telling us, we live in that way. You live without grumbling. You do it without questioning. You understand what it is that Christ has done. Exactly what He has done has delivered you. Think about the children of Israel. They'd just seen God's magnificent, glorious redemption accomplished in Egypt. Those ten plagues, wow, overwhelming They are there and and they are on their way out and you would think that they would go, man, this, 
This is great. We know that God is for us. He has just delivered us. And they get to the sea. And Pharaoh and his armies coming down upon them. Not to usher them out in some way that they'll smile and give them a parade. No, they're coming down with chariots. And they are ready to kill those Israelites rather than let them go. And what do they do? Do they go, whew, we know that the Lord has this. We are, we are ready to watch and see what he's, got, what he's got going. What do they do? All right, let's back in. Right? Did you bring us out here that we might die? There are not enough graves there. The Lord delivers them and they get on the other side and they go a few days and they don't have water. What do they do? Well, we know the Lord delivered us in Egypt. He delivered us so that we, so that we would be delivered from the army. And now we're here. He is going to work something great. I can trust that. No, they want to go back to Egypt. That's why we're not congregational in structure. They would have voted themselves back into Egypt. No, no, we trust we trust the Lord working through elders. They, they would have voted themselves in and, and Moses would have said, Lord, I don't know. No, they worked. They waited because Moses said, wait, the Lord is telling you to wait. And we think we're better than them. How many times have you been passed up for that promotion? And you grumble. Because you're not trusting that the Lord has done something great already and He is going to continue to work so that everything comes for your good. How many times have you prayed for deliverance from some sin? It hasn't happened yet. And there you are. in the shame of it. On the other side of it. And you wonder if he can deliver you still. How many times have you prayed to be healed or relieved of some sickness or some burden? And he still has you waiting and you are wondering if that army is going to come down right on top of you. And you're going to be taken out. Don't forget The deliverance already accomplished by Christ. So that what He's already done is enough. That even if He leaves you in this moment and that army does overtake you, that illness, that sickness, you never get that promotion. That that pain that has been there for so long never gets remedied here and now. Is Is it that you understand That He's already given you everything in Christ. That's how you can live without grumbling. It's not easy. That's why He says, don't grumble. You don't grumble by focusing on Christ. You always go back to Jesus. That God did not withhold Him. And so you go back to those verses. And so He says, do not grumble. Most of the time we are, we are unsatisfied because we're, we're grumbling in, in idolatry. We want what we want, not what He has for us. And so the result is we live as those who don't grumble. Why? So that we have righteousness. Righteousness in this world where we've been placed. So that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Why aren't you like us? 
Why aren't you twisted in the same way that we are? Why do you walk in such naivety about life? Why do you walk in this hope? And there you are, blameless and pure. You live as those who have been brought into the kingdom of light. They don't understand why you're not darkness with them. It's in order that you might show your citizenship. It's like every time when I was a child, we'd get ready to to go spend the night with a friend and and my mom would say, listen, you remember who who you belong to. You remember what we value in in our home. You remember what we do in our family and you act accordingly. And that's how we were expected to go out and live. And that's how you were expected to live. The Lord says to you, you are here. This is not your final place. You are not home yet. And so you live knowing who you are. You live accordingly. You live in the manners and customs that you might stand out. And that's what he's calling us to. That you might be above reproach in this world without blemish. That doesn't mean a haughty arrogance. That doesn't mean that you have a Christianity where everyone knows what you're against more than what you're for. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you live out in the positives of the customs. I go to the Lord in prayer because He is the answer. I go to Him with all my hope because He's the answer. And then you root that in the Word, don't you? Holding fast or holding forth the Word of life. I don't know what your translation says, but which is right? Holding fast or holding forth the Word of life? Yes. Yes is the answer. It's a purposeful ambiguity. Uh, It's intentional. Holding forth means that you're showing them all of your hope. It's bound up right here. Here we learn what God has done. Holding fast says that I believe every word of it because I'm going to hold it out before you and live according to it that you might know that the thing that is most real isn't necessarily what you see with your eyes. It's what God is doing in spite of what you see. And that's how you live in this world as worthy citizens. That's how you live in this world that you might show forth the glory of Christ. That's what he's calling us to. He began all the way back in verse 27. He said, listen, you have been brought into this kingdom life. There is a citizenship that is higher and it claims a greater allegiance for the Philippians than than their Roman uh, citizenship in Philippi. It is the kingdom of Christ that claims your life and you live with that as your overarching reality. And you will stand out. Not in condemning others. No, their own lives do that. When they see you're different, they know you're different. And they really want it, but they're stubborn and they refuse for it. You live your life to the glory of Christ that He might get all the praise, holding fast and holding forth the word of life. Here's the question then. What are the customs of our family that you hold dear and you hold out before the world that they know that they know you're traveling with hope that you're traveling differently than they are 
What are the customs of our family that you have been immersed into that you are citizen, man, I almost had it, citizening worthily in this world? When was the last time they asked of your hope? Because your citizenship's different. Because the customs of your family are so much different than what they're used to. They wonder about the hope you have. It doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that it's always roses. They might see you and hate you for it. But you hold fast. You hold forth the word of life. And the Lord will glorify Himself in you. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, give us grace in Christ that we might walk worthily of the gospel that we might work out our salvation before a watching world, that they might ask us for the hope of glory that we have. Do this in us by having us always look to Christ and bring glory to His